Do you remember the first video game that you played with as a kid or a teenager? Super Mario Brothers in the mid 80s is easily one of the most prominent games of people's childhood. With a simple storyline, cute characters, and multi-stage quests. Over the past few decades, video games have been refined by graphical enhancements, increased processor speed of video game systems, and other technological advancements. As a result, their user interfaces have been evolving to adapt to the increasing complexity of video games. What we are referring to as user interface here is the way players can interact with the game and receive feedback. It generally applies to the interactivity and concepts of a game. This includes several aspects of gameplay such as the graphics, storyline, visual perspectives, controls, level designs, behavior of action figures, etc. The experience generated from the resultant gameplay or interaction is the objective of the game. I am Renuka Racha and today in this episode of Tech 2030, a 6G World podcast, we will talk about the use of AI and ML as a tool to create new and innovative game modes and content, thereby making them more immersive and entertaining. The gaming industry is one of the most exciting industries in tech because of its importance to culture, entertainment and technological advancement. Console, PC and mobile gaming companies are using the latest in tech such as specially designed microchips, ultra-fast cloud platforms, AI and ML and streaming to bring their games to the screens of more than 2 billion people all over the globe. Actually, artificial intelligence and games have gone together almost from the uh, from the beginning. Uh, if you look at the history of artificial intelligence, people have been working on game playing algorithms and ways of automating game playing since at least the 50s and even before. But what we're seeing now is that a lot of the applications that AI and machine learning can have to games are really starting to come into focus and they're, they're starting to change how games are actually made. That is Christopher Homegard. CEO and one of the co-founders of Model AI. He has a PhD in artificial intelligence and procedural content generation. Model AI is a deep tech startup founded in 2018 by a group of people with 15 plus years experience as game developers and researchers in artificial intelligence and machine learning. There are different application areas where AI and ML have a strong impact on the game program process. These areas range from automation, where tasks that are normally done using human labor are automated using AI, to co-creation, which is when you work together with an AI to create part of the game. We're also seeing games that leverage AI machine learning for generating game content wholesale. So that means that when you're requesting part of the game, like on the fly, a system might generate it and serve it back to you. And you'll get sort of like part of the game experience that you know, no one has ever seen this piece of content before because the AI generated it uh, when you asked for it. According to Christopher, there is a tendency to use AI and ML for personalizing and optimizing games. That means an AI that keeps an eye on how you're experiencing the game 
and uses your behavior and other indications around the game to understand what the experience should be. In the early days, for a video game business, one would build a game and ship it on a floppy disk or a CD-ROM. That would basically be it and it would be the same as producing a movie and sending it out into the market. However, over the last few years, the game industry has transitioned to become what is called game as a service. It started with things like Facebook games and Flash games. The smartphones made a major contribution to this. When a developer or a company ships a game and launches it for first time, that's only the beginning of the journey. All games will typically be updated over time, weekly, monthly, even every half year with new content. One is essentially opening a store or a community or a space where the players will keep coming. A consequence of that is that the audience that are interested in your game might also change over time. So the people that were interested in your game on day one can be very different from the people who are interested in your game five years down the road. Tastes might change or the fashion might have changed and your game needs to keep up with that. And so essentially what that means is that as a game developer, you are now interacting with this community of players and it becomes a much more dynamic process and sort of like a two-way street where you need to keep up with the, you know, the things that your audience is doing. You need to keep tabs on how they're actually using their game. And this dynamic process offers a lot of opportunities for leveraging AI to both make sense of what your players are looking for, but also generating the new content and then delivering it to them. So are these AI and ML-based tools available to only large companies? How are the small to mid-sized teams and companies getting access to these resources? One characteristic of the games industry is that even a small startup or a small team with 5 to 10 people can easily be propelled across industry as a hit from being unknown with a very small title just a few weeks back. It only takes having the right game at the right time for the right audience. One of the things that we're really interested in is using, uh, you know, again, AI machine learning, building out technologies that can enable these smaller actors and the small to mid-sized actors in the space to compete with larger actors. Um, previously, this kind of tech has been sort of like reserved for, you know, the largest companies in the space that could afford to have their own internal research and development team. But what we're seeing is that the needs and the benefits that, uh, that AI and machine learning can, can deliver to uh, across the industry are actually, you know, they're the same for the, for the mid-size to the smaller companies. And the industry is just really looking for actors that can start delivering that across the range, leveling the playing field. Um, and, and you can say in a way that's, that's kind of like our mission is to make that available for as many developers as possible so that, uh, so that even if you're like a mid-size team or a small team, you can start reaping some of these automation benefits. And if it turns out that your game is one of the hit games, you're also much more uh, well positioned to keep up with the, you, you know, with the demand and the player influx if you start thinking in some of these automation techniques early on. We all know that a lot of data is collected with video games, whether they are played on a smartphone, tablet, PC or a console. How does this data impact the real-time experience and the evolution of the game? Christopher makes an important point here. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the first places where I think AI machine learning has had a large impact on the games industry 
is operating over the large amounts of data that players generate when they interact with the games themselves, but also with the platforms or the storefronts where the games are available. And then, you know, the behavior that you see there offers a lot of like indications for what people are interested in. And you can then leverage that to find the next experience or the next thing that would work well for a particular player. Then as we start moving into sort of like the sort of like more the creative side where the players also become the creators, I think, um, and this is this is something that we're only starting to see now, but at that point, the AI can also become the basis for sort of like a tool chain or like tool sets or toolkits that you make available to the player creators that can assist them as they're making their, their experiences and that they want to share with others, right? Because one of the things as, as sort of like game development becomes increasingly democratized, there's also, I think, at least a greater need for tools that sort of like assist you in the process of building these experiences. Because if it's something that you're doing as a hobbyist, you probably need you know, tools and mechanisms guiding you along the way so, so that, that you can build the content that, that you want to build without having you know, done, say, five years of training in game development or without five years of experience in game development. Right? Mobile gaming makes up about 45% of the total market share of the gaming industry, with almost one-third of the entire global population having played a gaming app in 2019. Why is mobile gaming so popular? Because it's easily accessible and has games for every type of user. Instead of having to strap on a headset or pop a disc into a console, mobile gaming allows us to play wherever we go and whenever we want. Uh, I don't think you can understate what, how big the impact of like mobile platforms and sort of always on connectivity, uh, how large that impact has been on the games industry. I think it's evidenced alone by, if you look at the most revenue numbers um, that describe the games industry, we'll show you that more than 50% of the revenue generated in, in the games industry as such is, is in the mobile space. I think it's, it's also, it's been a huge driver in changing our expectations in terms of like what gaming can be. So like we were talking about like this drive toward games as a service and moving from a static product over to something that happens continuously. And then I think it, um, it's also really changed, um, you know, our notion of when gaming is available and how long gaming sessions need to be. Um, how sort of like the, you know, the, the experience of interacting with a game experience, what what that can look like, uh, because what mobile phones do is that, that I, I, or like mobile platforms and, and connectivity, I think it's had a huge impact on sort of like making game playing experience available in bite-sized, uh, you know, chunks. Making sure, you know, you have 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, maybe you have a two hour lunch break. And none of those like parts of life um, would sort of like support, you, you wouldn't be able to bring your console to work and then play on it in, on your, well, most places you, you probably wouldn't be able to anyway. But, but, but certainly it makes gaming more available and it makes it probably also more spontaneous. And as part, you know, one of, one of the things that connectivity does is that it also makes sort of like access to new gaming experiences and access to new content within the, the gaming experiences that you're already, already ha having that, that makes that much more available, right? So, so, so certainly that's, that's sort of like changed the face of gaming. I'm not sure that it's taken away uh, to, to such an extent from the other kinds of, of game playing that have already been there, you know, the kind where you sit down with your console or your computer. I think it's been more a case of sort of like widening the, uh, the audience and the, and the access to, to, to game playing. In April of 2021, Sony and other tech companies gave Epic Games a collective $1 billion to build something called the Metaverse. In late July, 
Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg said Facebook would transform itself into a metaverse company over the next 5 years describing a future where people step into an immersive virtual reality world when they go online. So what is metaverse? I mean I'm familiar with with the concept of the metaverse uh, originally from uh, from reading Neil Stevenson's uh, Snow Crash back in the day um, but and, and I think I think we're all still sort of like reaching some sort of um, shared understanding of what the metaverse is going to be but if we go back to the source and we sort of like look at at least you know what was a vision back then in uh, in, in in both cyberpunk novels and what have we seen since um, there seems to be this notion of a persistent interoperable interoperable virtual space at a human scale right so it's a place where you can go and it tends to it, it tends to stick around even if you leave it so it's, it's it's a persistent online universe of some sort that we can we can log into and log out of and we can meet other people and we can have different interactions in there so if we take persistent shared virtual spaces as the fundamental notion of the metaverse does the metaverse already exist or do we have only one metaverse according to christopher we probably have many proto metaverses and we have been having that for many years let me explain that if you go back to some of the earliest online experiences there were multi user dungeons online but it would happen all in text but in many ways there were like shared metaverses because people would go over and have a shared experience it was all just mediated through reading and writing then as things matured other incarnations of this such as massively multiplayer online games like world of warcraft or second life could also be considered as proto metaverses uh, and now we're seeing things like again you know fortnite or you know roblox and these things that have a very strong relationship with gaming but also have other kinds of experiences going on inside of them so so as a larger concept uh, maybe one way but but i at least think about the metaverse is that it, it's 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 this notion of creating a space uh, where we can all go and have different kinds of experiences together or alone um and i think one of the one of the important things uh, that we'll see more of in the future is also that we can have some sort of like lasting impact on it um so that we can we can go and do something that that ends up being semi or completely persistent in, inside of this universe and other people can go experience it so it becomes a a conduit of information exchange uh, and 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 really of shared experience right the idea of the metaverse has caught on across the tech industry over the last decade with multiple companies seemingly in a race to make it happen christopher thinks that a lot of the things that ai will end up offering to metaverse experiences may be likely to be supercharged versions of what ai is offering now for video games as people start spending more of their time in metaverse like spaces there will be a need for generating content which will be more demanding to make imagine the technical complications involved in making this podcast or streaming something to youtube or putting a website together right now imagine that we're doing all of that in like 3d and we're doing it as a concert production or we have to like figure out the setup and and, and so so the complexity of everything if we start having it in an actual virtual space where we can walk around and look around and experience and everyone can impact it sort of the um, the complexity of that really grows grows explosively right 
And so I think that, that some of these notions of using AI to, to structure what you can do in these spaces, to test that things work, to help you generate these experiences, I think it'll end up having you know, a lot of, of applications there because people will need these assistive tools in order to create the experiences that they want to have, that they want themselves or they want other people to have in, in these metaverses. Because again, not, not everyone will be there because they want to be a programmer or because they want to be sort of like a very detailed content creator. They're really there to give other people a particular experience or to communicate with them, right? So I see AIB becoming sort of like the scaffolding that assists people in building these experiences for one another. That's one side of it. There is another side which will also carry over from the way we use the internet now and the way information is being leveraged or treated. Once the metaverse is entered, access to behavioral data is gained in the same way as in video games right now and maybe even more. What would that result in? If, if you think about what you can collect from a video game, we can actually, every moment by moment, if we, if we do the instrumentation correctly, we know what are you interacting with inside of the video game? What are you looking at? You know, what was the trace? What were the, the path, the steps that you took through every single part of the video game? If you're familiar, Nintendo has a hit title called uh, uh, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And in that game, they, they brought up an, out an update. Uh, it's, it's a while back now, but that update allowed you to see every single step that you had taken in the game. as sort of like a heat map where you could trace your path you know, through, through the game, you know, moment by moment, step by step, right? And we'd be able to do the same thing in the metaverse. Now, what, what, what that really means is that having that kind of information about your behavior in a space and in a context like that, that really gives us a lot of information about who you are and what you care about. And leveraging that data, I think that um, you know, AI and machine learning will give us some very powerful recommender systems and some very powerful profiling and personalization solutions where we can take all the things that you're doing inside of a metaverse and we can, we can use it to build sort of a, you could think of it as an assistant or a concierge or even a director that will take part in shaping the experience that you have inside of these metaverses. I, I think that's going to be both a good and a bad thing. And I think it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how, how this sort of like influence is leveraged. Because on one hand, you can really use it to give people a quite unique and personalized experience, um, but it can also create sort of like bubbles of experiences and it can also be used, um, you know, aggressively in a commercial sense as well in order to, to profile and sort of like push, push things on people, right? So, um, so, so, so that'll be a very interesting development. Conceptually, the metaverse describes a future internet of persistent shared 3D virtual spaces linked into a perceived virtual universe. Virtual reality and augmented reality are meant to put you right in the middle of the action. VR offers gamers the ability to step into magical worlds and do everything from kick around a football to fight off hordes of monsters. Augmented reality, on the other hand, adds digital influences to real life. The best example of AR in gaming is Pokemon Go. Using a smartphone, Pokemon seekers are able to find and capture a virtual Pokemon throughout their everyday lives in the real world. I, I would say that, that XR and AR holds a lot of like um, potential and possibilities, uh, especially as we see, um, you know, as, as wearables and sort of like always on audio and things like this is becoming more normal. I think we'll see some interesting applications coming up there. 
Um, I think Matthew Ball uh, calls it sort of like the connective tissue of the metaverse is the way that he talks about it. But, but, but you know, at the point where it becomes normal to, for instance, always be wearing, um, you know, headphones that are connected to your cell phone, even though you're talking to people in the real world, uh, then, then you sort of like start getting some of these, um, like you start breaking down the, bind, the, the boundaries between the virtual space and the, the virtual world and the real world. And I think because we're, we're only sort of like seeing that coming into focus now, both in terms of like what the what technology can do, but also in terms of like how we're using it socially. Um, I think we're still a few years out from seeing how that's really going to impact um, how, we, how we live our lives on a, on a daily basis. The future of gaming will undoubtedly involve AI and allow the development of new and exciting games and new ways of playing. It can create behavior that allows the player to immerse themselves in the game. Here are Christopher's views on where we would be in 2030. Yeah, in 2030. Um, so, so maybe jumping off from what I, I mentioned before, where we're seeing sort of a certain breaking down of the boundaries between what happens in the physical and the virtual space. I think I think that development will be key uh, to what both to, to you know to both what metaverses and what gaming experiences look like in, in 2030. So, I guess around nine or nine or eight years from now. Um, I, I don't think sort of like the classic experiences will go away, where we sort of like make a very intentional decision to sit in front of a piece of media and consume it, uh, and then go and do something else. Uh, certainly, I, I hope it won't go away. Um, but 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 the other side of it is, I, I think we'll be um, much more accustomed to living in sort of like a um, sort of like a shared space where the uh, where the, the virtual imposes on physical, and the physical is is sensed and represented to a certain extent in the virtual. Um, just look at, uh, I, I think a title like Pokemon Go is, is a super interesting example. It's been out for, for quite a few years now. Uh, but still, you know, if, if you're a Pokemon Go player, uh, it's always in the back of your mind. Like, maybe there's a gym here. Maybe I can, maybe I can catch a Pokemon, right? And, and you want to pull out your phone and check, even if you're doing something else. And that, to me, sort of like psychologically, that's, that's a virtual impinging on my physical experience right now. And, and maybe that's not a bad thing. Maybe that's, that's just another you know, element of the environment that might be here. So, so if we take that and scale that up with devices that, uh, that you know, hopefully you know, long, uh, run longer on the battery when you're playing uh, Pokemon Go, and, and maybe we start having other modalities in here, we're already seeing it with, with you know, um, truly wireless headphones, and then maybe, maybe eventually we'll see some variation of the smart glasses become sort of like more widespread. Um, I, I think we'll, we'll, we'll be experiencing more of a mix between those things. But what the specific implementation looks like or, or like what the experience is, I mean, I, I guess that's, that's up to the creativity of the developers and, and the tools that they can. This podcast is brought to you by 6G World. It is edited and produced by Cayo Castro and hosted by me, Renuka Racha. 6G World brings together news, events, and ideas related to the next generation of communications, what the world might look like in 2030, and how to get there from here. 6G World is a platform for researchers, business, and government leaders who are focused on the needs, technologies, policies, and business models for a future beyond 5G.